want to echo what Derek has already said, welcoming everybody this morning. We're glad that you are here. Uh, we hope that it has already been, man, we've had a great weekend so far. It's a little bit of a, a long weekend where that you get to enjoy. Uh, some of you are going to be off tomorrow, so that's going to be nice. Uh, some of you have been without kids over the weekend, and, and that has been uh, pretty cool. We have a group of middle schoolers who uh, have been up in Gatlinburg enjoying Winterfest. Uh, we did just get a, a message saying that they have left. They're on their way back. Uh, they are um, tired, and they are hungry. And uh, those of you that have raised middle schoolers before, you know that is not a good combination. And so they should be here around 11.45 to 12 o'clock. Please, parents, do not go and get lunch first and then come back and get your child. We, we beg and plead of you to wait and take them with you. Uh, they, hey, they're having a great time. And uh, we appreciate uh, the chaperones who have gone along with them. And if you are in middle school or high school, uh, in, a few, in a few minutes there's going to be uh, classes we're going to be having all over our campus that you'll be able to participate in. And those of you who are middle school and high school are all going to be together in one class. It's going to be on our um, uh, Family Life Center. It's going to be there on the track in the teen room. And so you can all go and be a part of that. We encourage you to, encourage you to do so. Hey, uh, everybody survived Valentine's, right? Everybody survived Valentine's. That's good. Um, hopefully it, it went well for you. I, I've got to say, I appreciate those of you. I, I know some of you um, put this out on social media and it was great. I appreciated those of you who attempted to be very biblical this Valentine's. It, you, you, you tried to be biblical. Matt Wiseman, you were one of them. I, I've got to give you a shout out, buddy. Um, some of you decided to go to the Song of Solomon for your Valentine's. And so you shared messages like the following. Thy neck is like the Tower of David, builded for an armory whereon there hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. <laughs> now that's, I mean, that's impressive. I mean, Hallmark has, has nothing on that. But, but, there, but there's more. You, you, you could have gone with thine eyes are like the fish pools of Heshbon by the gates of Bathrobeam. Now nothing says love like eyes that are like fish pools. That's really good. But my favorite, and some of you have used this before, I know, thy teeth are like a flock of sheep that are even shorn, which came up from the washing, whereof everyone bears twins and none is barren among them. There's a reason some of you got married right there. I mean, you had the words that just, it, it sounded like it truly came from your heart. And all this time, it was words from the Song of Solomon. Hey, whatever you, whatever you use to, um, to share your love with your loved one this last weekend, I hope that it was uh, beneficial. I hope everybody, felt, hope everybody felt the love. We hope you feel some big love today. Uh, we're in a series here in February that uh, is called Big. And we've talked about some, some big risk. We've talked about some, some big faith. And today we're going to focus in on the idea of a big love. You know, so far we have learned there's no way to be a faithful servant of God and his kingdom without taking some, some big risk. Because God has entrusted us with his stuff. And, and he plans on us leveraging that stuff for the benefit of others and to grow his kingdom. You see, God invites us to expand the borders of his kingdom by using... All the things that he puts into our hands and 
all the different gifts that he's given to us. But as we've seen, whenever you talk about big risk, you've got to talk about big faith because one always goes with the other. If it doesn't require faith, then it must not involve that much risk. And last week we looked and we saw that scripture is just overflowing with stories of God asking ordinary people to engage in acts of extraordinary faith. Abraham, when called to go up to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, scripture says he obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Moses chose to suffer the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. There was a widow in 1 Kings chapter 17 who used what she thought was the last of her oil and flour in order to care for God's prophet. There's a young girl in scripture and her fiance who welcomed an unexpected pregnancy. Fishermen left their nets, tax collectors left their money bags in order to follow Jesus. And occasionally we saw last week Someone just gets this crazy idea to jump out of a perfectly good boat. You, you read through scripture and you see person after person taking a big risk and demonstrating big faith in order to be obedient to the call of God. That's the life of a disciple. And it's the life of Christ's church. And it's why last week we were challenged to envision what, what Jim Collins calls in his book Built to Last, a BHAG, a big hairy, audacious goal. It's a long-term goal that changes the very nature of your existence. So we said, what, what is your BHAG for, for your own personal walk with God? What is your big, hairy, audacious goal for your family? What is your big, hairy, audacious goal for, for your small group, for, for that for that group that you're meeting with in prayer each Saturday morning, those that you get together with on Wednesdays and have breakfast with, what is your BHAG for the kingdom of God? And so what we've done, we've tried to offer challenges over the last couple of weeks. And so I ask for you to imagine with me a church community that doubles its impact. I have asked that you imagine a, a church community that doubles the number of of baptisms, that doubles the number of, of small groups, doubles the number of worship assemblies, doubles the number of, of schools that we serve, of, of meals that we take, of, of Watts projects that we, that we participate in. Any and everything that, that we look at and that we have participated in as a church body in the past that we can put a number to, what if we were to be able to double that? Think of the impact. Think of the way in which Chattanooga would be, would be changed. But you see, to accomplish a dream like this, well, we have to think outside the box, and we have to consider new models and new strategies, and this kind of imagination can be scary. It can be scary to talk about BHAGs, but if it wasn't scary, then it wouldn't be a risk, and it wouldn't require any type of faith. And so we're talking about the kind of risk and faith that well, it's the kind that move individuals to battle addiction. It's the kind of risk and faith that would cause you to run from lust. It's the type of risk and faith that would motivate you to sacrifice generously. We're talking about something so big that, that you can have the courage to stand up against sexism and, and racism within our culture. Something so big that you can't even keep the message of Christ to yourself, the belief that you have in Christ. You cannot contain it. And that's the whole point, right? I mean, that's why we, 
Well, that's why we've come to place our life in the hands of God. We place our life in his hands and we cannot contain the passion that we have for Jesus. We want to share, and, and maybe I shouldn't say we want to share, we, we have to share what he has done for us and the difference that risking and having that faithful following has made in our lives. We just can't contain it. It just boils over. Paul once described this particular passion, and he said it this way. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. Either way, Christ's love controls us. He'd been talking about some of the things that he had dealt with, some of the, the different things that had been going on with he and his companions. And he had written earlier about these big risks and big faith, and he said, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under the constant danger of death because we serve Jesus. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. And then he says, but we continue. And we continue to preach. And he say, Paul, why are you enduring all this? Why not just walk away? Why not just go and open up a, a tent-making shop back in Tarsus and, and get married and enjoy life with the missus? And why go through all of the shipwrecks and the imprisonment and the beatings and, and, and all of that? It just sounds, it sounds crazy that you or anyone would want to sacrifice perhaps your very life for the message about Jesus. And Paul says, you're right, it does seem crazy. But in this craziness, our lives are bringing glory to God. And he said, well, let me see if I can explain it this way. He says, we are controlled. We are urged on. We are compelled by Christ's love. He says, we do what we do. We preach what we preach. We risk what we risk because of the love of Christ. You can't escape it. The kingdom of God is a republic of love. It's not the sentimental or sensual thing that the world calls love. But it's that 1 Corinthians kind, that, that fierce, wild, and, and huge, and feisty, and pure love. It's the unbounded extravagance at the heart of the heart of God. It's the love song that God sings over his people and calls his people to sing loudly. It's the mission of his disciples to take big risk and to step out with big faith. And the reason that the disciples are able to do that is because of the love of Christ. The love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels the disciples to risk all. The love of Christ compels the disciple to get out of the boat and to faithfully be obedient to the call of God. For the disciple, it's the idea that says we must live for him because in love he died for us. There is no coming in second. There is no other choice. It's God's way. And it's what makes the church both a mystery and a magnet to the world. Because when we love in this way, when we love in God's way, this love makes us relevant. 
And it's the absence of this love that makes us irrelevant regardless of whatever it is that we do with our lives. But when this love really takes hold and it's a lasting hold, we find that we are free to love not just the lovely but the unlovely. I mean, after all, Scripture tells us that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die while we were still sinners, while we were the unlovely. So when this type of love takes hold, we find that this love compels us to love the most of these. Those are the people who, who maybe have more than we have. We are compelled to love the least of these. Those who have less, those who are less than we are. And we're also compelled to love the worst of these. Those who are against the things that we are. It's the ability to love the winners. It's the ability to love the losers. And it's the ability to love the enemies. I want you to think for a moment about love for winners. Because with this kind of love, Saul could have loved David. He could have. And Cain could have loved Abel. Think about love for losers. With this kind of love, the rich man could have loved Lazarus. And the priest could have loved the leper. Love for your enemies? Well, with this kind of love, Paul demonstrated it. He demonstrated the love for the Philippian jailers. Stephen showed this love for his accusers. And when you start to think about us, and it's like, all right, but what does this mean for, for me? Well, if we were able to have love for winners, with this love, we could love the person who, who gets the promotion and the position and the raise and the recognition instead of me. Love for losers? Or with this love, you can love the person whose life choices and circumstances have made them only a shell of who God intended for them to be. Love for your enemies? Well, this love, you can love the person who, you can love the person who votes differently from you. You can love the person who believes differently from you. See, this love is the revolution Jesus loosed upon earth. It was with this love that Jesus welcomed Nicodemus. He loved the fiery, reckless Simon the Zealot with this same love and the conniving Zacchaeus as well. He loved his mother. He loved Mary Magdalene. He loved the demon-filled legion. He loved the rich young ruler who walked away from him. He loved Peter who denied him and Judas who betrayed him. He loved the priest who condemned him, the thieves who mocked him, and the soldiers who nailed him to a tree. And he loved them with this big, extravagant love that Paul says now compelled him compelled him to go to the ends of the earth, compelled him to endure the mocking, compelled him to endure shame. All for the extravagant big love of God. And he calls on anyone who would wear the name of disciple to embody that very love. It's why he, did not, he designed his church in whole and in part. It's, it's why he designed it to be who we are today. Being able to welcome individuals from all types of backgrounds and walks of life. Christ intends for his church to reclaim what was lost in Eden. You see, before there was sea and sky, before there were trees and serpents, there was love. There was the eternal, infinite, pure love that flowed in and from Father to Son and Son to Spirit and, and then back again. Round and round, unhindered, unbroken, undiminished, and unbridled. The old theologians called this perichoresis. It's the self-giving dance of 
the three-in-one God. There's a, there's a picture that maybe that you have seen before that kind of describes what's going on between Father, Son, and, and Spirit. God in himself is an entire community of, of radical love. And you start to think, okay, well, wait a minute, but why did God in creation do what he did? Well, he did it to share love. God creates not out of boredom or loneliness or the need to, to somehow find his creative edge. God has all God needs in the company of Father, Son, and Spirit. And God is extravagant and above all desire to share with his created the love that had been with him for all eternity. But you guys already know that God's creation went off the rails. We desired power more than we desired love. And so we rejected the very love that God offered. And that's why within minutes of humanity's fall, Adam and Eve were engaged in a dance. Not a dance of love, not a dance of perichoresis. Instead, it was a dance of accusation and avoidance. And it's why the next generation, brother kills brother. And as a result, we have all grown up living in exile from the love that we were invited to inhabit. But then Jesus comes to heal all of that. Jesus comes to reintroduce us to love. Jesus comes to say, this is what it's all about. This is what real love is. This is what love looks like. The pure, infinite, eternal love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus comes to say that love did not end at the fall. Our catastrophes in no way impaired and depleted God's love. His love continues unabated. But a way need to be made available for us to participate in that love once more. And that's where Jesus comes in. I want you to listen to, I want you to listen to Jesus talk about the love that he has for the Father. The love the Father has for him and the desire that he has for his disciples. He said in John chapter 15, it's recorded, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Because greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And this is my command. Love each other. Jesus said, do you want to be in me? Do you want to be able to say that you are in Christ? He says, do you want to be able to say that you know me? Do you want others to, to say, you know what, that person has been with Jesus. He says, then you keep my command. And what is it? Well, you love. But Jesus, I would like other commands. I would like you to spell out all the different commands. Jesus said, can I just wrap it up in one? Let me just wrap it up in one. Love each other.
And so we ask the question, do we as a church family embody the love of Christ in such a way that people in the world and of the world would be willing to forsake all other loves just to know this love? Would they be willing to give up their addictions, their diversions, their compromises, their resentments? Because the love that fuels our church and the love that is demonstrated in our classes and in our small groups and in our ministries and in our luncheons is better and truer and deeper than anything that they can find anywhere else. Is that how we're known? You see, Christ's people must be known for displaying Christ's love. More than doctrine, more than worship styles, more than activities and ministries, God's people are to be identified and marked by the love in which they share, by the love in which they live. You see, without love, the church will never turn the world on its head. It won't even turn the world's head. We're surrounded by a culture who is dying to be loved. You don't believe me? Just, just watch some of the television shows that are out there now. To just go on social media and see some of the ways in which people express themselves. And you begin to look. You, you see it in the office place. You see it in the classrooms. You see it in your neighborhoods. People wanting to find love, wanting to find someone who will care, someone who will tell them that they, are, that they are special, that they have value, that they have worth. And people go and look in all kinds of directions and participate in all kinds of activities. And it is God's desire that the love that he has, the love of Father, the love of Son, the love of Spirit be shared amongst the people of his creation. And he looks to those who follow after Jesus, those who wear the name disciple, those who call themselves Christian, and says, you are to be known by my love. And we have people who are drowning. Drowning. Because they need and they desire to have my love in their life. Without love, the church will leave the world exactly as how we found it. We'll be no better than a priest or a Levite walking past the man in a ditch, leaving him to die. Now, I believe that God always has a good Samaritan or two in the wings should the church fail, but God designed the church to be the epicenter and channel for divine love. That's why I loved a story that I found this week. It's a story about a young woman named Mandy. Her family's background is complicated to say to say the least. And as I read through her story, it could be that it reminds you of perhaps your own or, or maybe even somebody in your family. It could be someone that you went to school with. Her parents, her parents went through so many marriages and divorces, so many flings and one-night stands that Mandy well, she can't keep track of all of her half-sisters and half-brothers, stepmothers and stepfathers. She developed a habit of promiscuity when she was in grade school. 
That would then lead to an exotic cocktail of drink and drugs, legal and street to number pain as she continued to grow into adolescence and the teen years. As a young adult, when she showed up at a local church, she was angry and she was depressed and she was stuck. And she was sick of life. And most days, she thought seriously about ways to end that life. But there was a lady at church who Mandy recognized from a local shop that she had visited. And that lady invited her to a ladies' retreat that the church was hosting. Mandy was leery but hungry. Her home life, as chaotic and mismanaged as it was, did manage to establish in her a, a very deep prejudice against religion, and especially Christianity. Her father was a belligerent atheist, and her mom, who she lived with most of the time while she was growing up, embraced a mixture of, of New Age and Eastern mysticism and a good old dose of sexual promiscuity. Mandy absorbed all of that, and she formed a very rigorous skepticism, but she also had a, a very soft-headed gullibility. She didn't know what to make of a church event like a ladies' retreat. And what do you do at a ladies' retreat? But in the end, her intrigue trumped her suspicion, and she went. And the speaker at that retreat talked about the love of God, the vast ocean, the deep and wide, purifying, intoxicating, unfathomable, yet right here, inviting you to dive in, love of God. And Mandy was drowning. She'd never heard anything like this. And she could scarcely believe her ears. She wept, and she wept, and she dove in. What convinced her to dive in was the sheer beauty of divine love. But what drew her to that divine love was the very real demonstration of it in the women who met her at this retreat. These women heard Mandy's story and they didn't pull back. Instead, they leaned in. They didn't judge. They didn't withhold their love from her. They showed her greater love. They laughed with her, and they cried with her, and they prayed for her. They offered her good counsel to deal with the struggle she was having with, with Bert, her live-in boyfriend. One woman even offered to go with her on Sunday night, the night they returned from the retreat in order to help Mandy explain to Bert what had happened and what she had experienced in this retreat and, and how that the love that God had been offering was something that was much better and much deeper than the love that she had been getting from Bert. Well, that was several years ago for Mandy. She's now married to Glenn. Bert didn't take the news so well. And they have three beautiful children. She's involved in ministry at the church. She has led other women, including a few of her siblings, to know the love of Christ that freed and, and now compels her. You know, when I saw that story, I couldn't help but think of the fact that we've got a ladies' retreat coming up. And I wondered if perhaps there might be a Mandy there. I wonder perhaps if there might be a Mandy who accepts an invitation to, to go off on a retreat that she's a little bit leery of, that she doesn't really understand, but perhaps there at that retreat she is going to experience a love that she has never known.
I hope so. You see, Christ's love compels us to risk all in fellowship, faithful fellowship. And the reason we do that, the reason Paul did it, that the reason that we are talking about big risk and big faith, the reason that we're talking about trying to double impact, it's all so that the Mandy's of this world can experience true love. Because the love of Christ compels us. And anything less than big risk and big faith, anything less than that does not contain big love. And so I want to call you this morning. I want to call you to the big love of God. I want to call you to dive into the love that says, I love you so much that I will give my one and only son for you. I want to call you to a love that says that I am preparing a place for you. I want to call you to a love that says that no matter, no matter who else you talk to, no matter what else you have learned, a love that says that you have value and a love that says that you have worth and a love that says you have a future no matter what it is that has been in your past. I want to call you to the love that was demonstrated by Jesus Christ. And I want to call you to that love today. Maybe it will, call, it will bring you to be baptized into Christ. Maybe it will just bring you to a point where you say, I want to hear more about this Jesus and I want to call us all as a church family to, to be men and women who continue to have these BHAGs, these big, hairy, audacious goals. Because there are other Mandys who are out there. There are Mandys who are out there who are longing to experience the love of Christ. And in order to be able to, to share that love, it could mean taking a big risk. It's going to mean relying on some big faith. But I guarantee you the results are going to be worth it. And so church, I encourage you, be known for your love, if for nothing else, because that is how we remember our Savior. Let's stand and give him praise.